everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. The first week of 2022 is behind us and already much has taken shape in financial markets, accounting for the move higher in interest rates, Fed policy, and economic data, notably that December jobs report. So joining us today for the CIO Strategy Snapshot to weigh in on all of these developments and the implications of them to portfolios and financial markets is Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So Jason, welcome back. Hope you had a nice weekend. Uh, Thank you for joining us this morning and looking forward to the conversation. Good morning, Dan. Good to be here. So, Jason, as I mentioned, we're only one week into 2022 at this point, and much has taken place. So it might be helpful as a starting point, Jason, if you could provide our listeners with a quick recap of the major developments from last week. So, Jason, can you summarize what happened with the Fed minutes, uh, that December jobs report, as well as the rise in interest rates? And how might these factors all be connected? Well, it certainly was not maybe the week that investors wanted to start the first year with. Um, but if we pick up with the Fed, I think what was surprising in these minutes that are usually uneventful is that it implied a more hawkish tone, indicating the Fed is kind of eager to start raising rates probably as soon as, as March. Um, but also looking then, you know, relatively soon after doing a couple of rate hikes to potentially reduce its balance sheet. Now, the fact that the Fed was going to raise rates this year or even potentially shrink its balance sheet isn't really new. I mean, they already kind of indicated that in December. I think just the, the timing of it you know, caught investors by surprise. Um, basically pulled everything forward by about one quarter. Uh, and a couple of things in you know, the statement sort of indicated or the minutes indicated that, you know, the Fed's view on, on the unemployment market, the labor market is maybe tighter than, you know, what, uh, you know, they, they anticipated. It's also that they think that it's pretty much kind of reached their goal of, of full employment, which is why they're ready to hike rates now. Uh, I think if you were to kind of think about like what, uh, you know, whether what the Fed did is it wants to move because I think it's behind the curve given the state of the labor market, given the state of inflation. But that once it starts, it'll sort of take a very outcome dependent path, meaning you'll see how inflation evolves. It'll see how like, you know, unemployment continues to evolve and sort of decide to hike rates then or, or reduce the balance sheet. So it's created a lot of optionality, which is good for the Fed. Uh, but for investors, that means it's also very kind of more uncertainty because it's very much outcome dependent. So that was the first you know, move of a kind of a more hawkish Fed than expected. Then on Friday, we got the non-farm payrolls number, which as a headline was disappointing. It came in at 199,000 versus 450,000 was the consensus expectation. But if you go into some of the details, it was stronger than that. Uh, you know, uh, you know, average hourly earnings increased, you know, 0.6% on a month over month basis, which annualizes you know, about 4.7%, you know, above last month, above consensus expectations. There's also surveys of households uh, that came in strong, and that led to the unemployment rate dropping to 3.9%, uh, which, again, is, you know, we're now not that far below the pre-pandemic level. So if the Fed looks at this and says, well, you know, we're strong, we're doing well on the unemployment in a measure, wage growth is high, it's time for us to move. So the headline number a bit disappointing, but the details are consistent with what the Fed is kind of looking for. Um so all that, you add that up when you have the, the move higher in interest rates, partly because of you know, the expectations of, more, of a more hawkish Fed. But even before the Fed minutes came out on Wednesday afternoon, the yield of the 10-year Treasury was already up 17 basis points. And for the week, it was up about 25, you know, went from 1.5 to 1.75. So interest rates were already kind of pricing in a bit of a better growth in inflation outlook than they were before. Uh, the Fed essentially kind of marked to market in terms of its expectations. And so it was a bit of, you know, kind of, you know, self-reinforcing sort of dynamic 
that, uh, you know, the, the reality in, in the bond market and the Fed is sort of catching up, or their, their perception is catching up to where reality already exists. And that was really kind of the story of this interplay for these factors last week. Jason, these developments you spoke of, so again, to take inventory, a more hawkish tone from the Fed, uh, the December jobs numbers that move up in interest rates, the trend we've been witnessing there, uh, those factors, they led to a big rotation in equity markets. So what does that mean? We witnessed technology stocks, growth stocks take a dip. We did see value stocks led by energy financials finish higher on the week. Jason, why is this rotation in equities occurring and how much longer can it continue? Well, we know growth stocks and tech stocks are a big part of that. Have done exceptionally well for really a number of years, and even in the you know uh, the post-pandemic period, you know, especially the more speculative parts of the market have done exceptionally well. What sometimes isn't fully appreciated is that growth stocks tend to be actually fairly sensitive to interest rates, and the reason being is that when you have no earnings today but expected strong earnings five or ten years out down the line, interest rates matter a lot because the present value of those earnings ten years from now are going to change a lot based on even small changes in interest rates. So what people don't fully appreciate is that, you know, in the preceding five years, as interest rates declined, you can see a direct line and sort of beneficiary of growth stocks kind of outperforming. Well, when interest rates start rising, you get the reverse happening. And that's kind of what we've seen a little bit of last week, that the beneficiaries of falling rates and very loose accommodative monetary policy, as that's being reversed, you're seeing some of the, a little bit of this unwind of kind of growth uh, outperforming. Uh, they've also benefited over a number of years from investors kind of shifting their spending and consum- or consumer spending, and same thing with business spending. That have definitely benefited these stocks. So you've seen very strong earnings growth. So there's, there's, that's the case. But the valuation has kind of been far exceeded the earnings growth. So part of the rotation is kind of shifting away from the beneficiaries of falling interest rates uh, now towards those who benefit from higher interest rates, which is you know, financial is a perfect example. So this is kind of the shift that's taking place. Also, just from an investor positioning perspective, people have kind of so loaded up on growth over a number of years, whether that's uh, you know, retail investors, you know, some of our clients, also hedge funds, that they've also been under position for stocks like you know, energy and financials that you know, they just had a more pessimistic view on it. So now in order to make the shift, you're seeing selling from you know, sectors that have, are under pressure, buying those that you know, look a little bit more attractive, but they're also much smaller rates of the S&P of 100 yield. 25% for technology, 3% for energy. That's why energy was up you near know, 10% last week. In terms of how long this continue, it really sort of depends on, you know, the strength of the economy and how high rates can go. It certainly has to, you know, run away for the next, you know, few months, uh, even though there might be a bit of a pullback short term just because the move last week was so large. But whether it goes for a few months or through the rest of the year and beyond really depends on just how strong the U.S. and the global economy are relative to sort of long-term trends. Uh, does inflation moderate, at least somewhat, and the Fed can kind of you know, keep raising rates at a more gradual pace. I think all of that would favor this kind of rotation you know, from growth towards value. So, Jason, it might be a good time to bring up your most recent blog, which is titled Known Unknowns. By the way, this blog now available for our clients, our listeners up on UBS.com forward slash CIO. Though within the blog, Jason, you write that investors, they face a number of unknowns that will be influential in determining the economic and market trajectories this year. So, Jason, what are these known unknowns and why do they matter? Well, the first one, the biggest one is, what is the Fed going to do? You know, we know that the Fed probably wants to start tightening policy in March. And there's a projection of how many rate hikes it could be this year. It could be up to four, and they could throw their balance sheet runoff of this year. But it is very much sort of dependent on the data. 
and unfortunately the data itself is of a series of known unknowns. For example, we don't know how much labor supply you know remains. Uh, last year, throughout most of the year, uh, the labor market or the job market growth kind of disappointed relative to expectations. You know, forecasters were calling for a million jobs a month created in the second quarter. We fell far short of that. In both November and December, the numbers actually ended up falling short. And just the numbers on Friday kind of reinforced that. So is this just a case of there's just not many more people who want to come back to work? Or is it still issues of COVID-related you know, health concerns, things like that, are kind of keeping people on the labor force? Once those are resolved, there'll be another surge of labor supply. Uh, we also don't know, you know, whether some of the productivity gains they've experienced in the past year and a half, whether they will continue. Companies are investing in new technology and capital goods that could boost productivity, which is important because productivity growth is disinflationary. That means that you know, companies can keep margins higher. It means that wages can you know, rise faster without leading to inflation because the economy can grow overall more. So things like labor supply, productivity growth, these are kind of critical inputs in terms of the macro outlook for this year for inflation, for the growth outlook. And because we don't really know those very well, we also don't know Fed policy. But depending on how these things play out, they could play it in a positive way. Labor supply could be good. Productivity growth could be good. Fed, therefore, can be take a more measured approach to, to tightening policy this year, or at least if it hikes four times, the economy can handle it, you know, you know, perfectly fine. That would be good for the markets. But there is certainly a path where, you know, labor supply is tapped out, productivity growth moderates, the Fed starts to tighten, and they over-tighten because they don't know where the sort of neutral rate that kind of they want to get to, like where the policy is not too accommodative or too restrictive, because that's also a sort of unknown unknown. So all of these things kind of create more uncertainty, but how they play out this year is really going to determine ultimately the path for the economy and for financial markets. To strike a more optimistic tone for a moment, within the blog, you do cite that while last week it wasn't a good start of the year for investors, there are, however, some silver linings to be mindful of. So can you expand on that a bit for us, Jason? Well, what some of the data we got from on the manufacturing side of the economy in the U.S. and globally, and also anecdotal data points, anecdotal data points, is that you know, supply chains are, are easing. Some of the bottleneck problems are kind of easing. Uh, now, in the very short term, those are going to be disrupted because the labor market has been so negatively impacted by people having to be off work for five days or 10 days because they got, you know, COVID. But in terms of the overall arc, it does appear that, you know, the supply chain problems are definitely you know, starting to get better from a pretty poor position, you know, a few months ago. So I think we need to be put into perspective. It's going to take a while for this to improve, but I think we're definitely on the other side of the peak and things will get better there, which is important for inflation to be able to moderate and for growth to stay high. So that's a positive sign that we're really starting to see that sort of trend, you know, be extended. Uh, the second thing is that, uh, you know, with the Omicron wave, you know, it's certainly we're in, it's raging and we're sort of a, kind of a, around the peak of it right now, but because it's happening so fast and it's happening in the U.S., in Canada, in Europe, and lots of the parts of the developed world, it's going to happen fast, but it also can reverse quite quickly. And I know in New York City, where I live, cases are already down 25% over the past week. Uh, and if that trend continues, what we should see is this wave globally should be largely done by early February. It's been rare, at least over the past year, to have sort of been a synchronized wave ending globally. And also, we're now, you know, much of the world has access to vaccines and large you know, vaccination rates are quite high, which is that if this wave ends, what we could see then is a synchronized global reacceleration beginning later in the first quarter in a way that we didn't experience last year. And that can sort of amplify things because it also means supply chains open up even more. Uh, we don't get any sort of fits and starts like we did last year. So while the data in the short term might get, you know, a little bit worse and be disappointing, like with the jobs number on Friday, inflation, you know, the CPI number on Wednesday could be 7%. So the data could look worse before it gets better. 
but I think the medium-term outlook that we have for well above trend growth this year, inflation moderating by year-end, that's still in play. I think you know, that was maybe lost in the news the last week. Maybe it's underappreciated by the markets just a little bit. Okay, so some encouraging considerations there to be mindful of. Thank you for highlighting those, Jason. So, all right, as we close out now, let's bring this back to what investors should do. So, Jason, how are you recommending that investors position for the environment you've described to us? Well, since our medium-term outlook hasn't changed based on what happened last week, we still kind of stick with the, the guidance that we uh, saw on, on the fixed income side, expect interest rates to kind of keep moving higher. They may pull back a little bit because last week was a big move, but the trend for the next you know, month or two months or three months is, is for rates to kind of go higher and then perhaps pause at that point in time. Uh, so therefore, you don't want to be exposed to things that are too interest rate sensitive. In the fixed income, that would need something like senior loans where there's sort of more opportunity there. This growth to value rotation, we think it has more legs. Again, maybe in short term like for this week, for a couple of days, it sort of you know, pulls back a little bit. But the trend should be for value stocks to continue to, to outperform growth stocks. The magnitude is a little bit uncertain, but directionally, that's, that's where we think things will play out. Uh, we also like, you know, you know, parts of international equities, you know, Eurozone, Japan equities, uh, which are also a little more kind of economically sensitive. They should benefit from higher rates and a strong kind of global recovery. And I would actually just point out, if you look across what happened in markets last week, it was really a story of rates kind of rising higher, finally kind of pricing in a better growth and inflation outlook. And therefore, the growth-sensitive parts of the market, you know, the you know, growth stocks, tech stocks, were the most impacted. The yield curve steepened, uh, which it wouldn't do if it was worried about a policy era that was slow growth. Value stocks were up for the week, and financials were up 4%, energy almost 10%. UK eurozone equities are positive. Even large cap China equities, which were hit hard last year, were up for the week. So were commodities. And the US dollar was basically flat. If you just look at that in totality, that is not a sign of the investors and the markets being concerned about the US or global growth. So I think what they're just doing is realizing rates are going to go up, the Fed's going to be a little more aggressive, and the beneficiaries of very loose monetary policy, they're going to be the losers in the near term. The macro story and the way you should be positioned overall hasn't really changed. Well, Jason, very helpful, productive conversation to begin the week. Indeed, we will track how some of these uncertainties that you shared with us will play out. Uh, Jason, great catching up with you this morning and look forward to having you back on again with us soon. Thank you, Dan. Have a great week. Likewise. Thank you, Jason. And again, today we've been joined by Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. So as a reminder to our clients and our listeners, the UBS Chief Investment Office does author a variety of publications and blogs that touch on timely market developments, asset classes, and portfolio allocation. These resources can all be located on UBS.com forward slash CIO, including the blog which Jason has been referring to during our conversation today. Uh, that title again is Known Unknowns. So for clients of UBS, please be sure to reach out to your financial advisor to learn more or to receive a copy of that blog directly. Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Pandora. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as the new UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. 
UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.